welcome back to another episode of Classical Stuff. And if this is your first time here, then you should know that what we do is teach you about old things, classically. We, we try to educate you on books and philosophy and art and things, things that are old and make them easy to understand and fun to hear about. And the person you're listening to right now is AJ Hannenberg, and I am joined by Graham Donaldson. Hello. And Thomas Magby. Hi. And we are broadcasting to you from sunny Austin, Texas. It was a very gentle intro. That was, that was very different. Yeah, I, I thought I'd go like... <laughs> what does he normally do? If, if it's not gentle, it's like a harsh introduction? It's like, ha! <laughs> that's, that's mine. What's that's the... I thought I'd go PBS with it. Yeah. You know, oh, like oh, really, real peaceful. Yeah, yeah. NPR. Yeah, NPR? Yeah. 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 What's that? NPR? Yeah. National Public Radio? It's like uh, This American Life. Wait, you really don't know what NPR is? It's like the, like the biggest radio uh, channel or biggest podcast episodes also are from NPR huh. and they have kind of a sound to them with that call. They, they rule the airwaves. Yeah, for sure. Oh. We are but a peon. Are they um, like national? It's, it's NPR? National, yeah. Oh, so it's like the government radio? Um, I no. Always, I always get this part. It's, I, I don't know how they're funded, but they usually work through local affiliates. So it's so like PBS. It's, yes. Yeah. But on well, the, on the airwaves. Yes. Okay. Cool. Cause I know that they get money. So it's for, like the CBC. In Canada. Yes, it is. Oh, oh man, I'm so glad we're discussing this. <laughs> is this riveting? It's, you know, <laughs> this is really, really, really compe- compelling talk. It's like meta. We're like, it's, we're a podcast talking about other podcasts. We, I would we, never listen to something keep, like let's that. Let's keep this going for another hour or so. Okay. Anyway, today we have an episode from Thomas. Okay, great. <laughs> that's, that's the intro. There you go. Thanks. Much nice and easy. And over to our affiliate, Thomas. Thanks. Oh, wait, is that the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? Is that the show? Yeah, nice try. So today we're going to be talking about So Your Parents Are Thinking of Sending You to a Classical Christian School. So this is a new pamphlet from Josh Gibbs. So while AJ had his very polite introduction about us being a classical podcast, I really think we're just a uh, a thinly veiled Joshua Gibbs fan (laughs) cast. So that's my main reason for being here. We have covered many other works by this Mr. Joshua Gibbs. If you listen to our episode on How to Be Unlucky... Something They Will Not Forget, or the um, In Defense of Christmas was the name of the episode, but it's about a book called The 25th. Those are, those are works of Josh Gibbs. Um, who is this man, Joshua Gibbs? Mm, Legend has it. Let's start with you. Graham, who is Josh Gibbs? Uh, he's a teacher at a classical school in Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, also called Veritas. That is true. I don't think it's Veritas Academy. Is it Veritas Verit- School? I believe it is Veritas right. School. So he teaches at Veritas School, or I assume he still teaches at Veritas School. He, and he references it in this essay, so he must. He has a podcast called Proverbial, where he takes proverbs and talks about them. It's very charming. Yes. Um, and he is um, a writer and a thinker about this classical education movement and is um, quite popular in the classical Christian world. Has a long-standing blog for is it for the Circe Institute yep. called the Cedar Room? Yeah, the Cedar Room is like yeah his collection of posts. His collections that. of posts yeah. and um, yeah, so he's involved with the Circe Institute and the Veritas School, and he has his own um, online classes on Dante and Burke, I think. He also has some on Romanticism, and he has some that are about um, the, on Romanticism, really. Yeah, that are targeted at. Yeah new humanities teachers. Oh, there you go. So he, yeah, he has a, a whole slew of classes. That's on gibbsclassical.com, yep. which I'm sure we'll also reference at the end of this episode. And he's got a great big bushy beard. He does have yeah. a big bushy he beard. He can tie it in a knot. He, I think he does tie it in a mm-hmm. knot. Yeah, he? usually. Mm-hmm. I think in, uh, probably depending on the picture mm-hmm. you're looking at. He does look like he fell out of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. 
Do they all have bushy beards? He doesn't like to fly. I know that. I don't know that. Mm -hmm. He's not a flyer. He's got a nice, slow, commanding voice when he does does. talks. This is true. And he's like eight feet tall. Is he tall? Is he really? Yeah, he's really tall. Now, AJ, you don't think anybody's tall because you're tall. Right, that's true. Oh, is that what's happening? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not used to this. (laughs) But as a shoddy. Oh, shorty. That's Sorry. Uh, In the the club. Yeah. I'm, great. So Josh Gibbs in the club is not a show. No, I no don't he is think not. So. He's 17 Can't feet tall, imagine apparently. Josh Gibbs in the club. Okay. But, oh, Josh, I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> you are definitely not. He, I think he, he didn't he listen to the ones about his other works. Maybe. Okay. So we have to like SEO this thing. Oh, so that it just <laughs> randomly shows up for him. Okay. Well, I, I, those, all of those are true things, but I feel like they don't get at why we're talking about this. Why do we? Why have we covered all of his works? And part of it is, I mean, just because I picked them is one way to answer that question. But why has Gibbs come up on this podcast many times? Why have his works come up many times? I think for he voices a, the uh, he he sort of gives voice or has highlighted one of the main kind of tensions in classical education, which is a movement for forming virtue and creating Christian citizens as a classical Christian school, and also. A school is a social utility that is sort of bringing people into modern society for jobs and education, that kind of thing. And those two functions of a school are intention and um, those two functions of a classical school are intention. And he's kind of like done a good job of really sort of voicing that tension. I think that's one one. Do you think he comes down of, on one side? I think he that? comes down, yeah, he comes down more on the virtue formation side. Um, um, if it was like, yes, yeah, uh, that, that, I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my, um, my gut when I read his work is if the school that he was working at sort of said, you know what, we're going to put a stake in the ground and we're going to really decouple ourselves from the college admissions grade formation uh, um, um, machine of like um, AP tests and SAT scores and this kind of stuff. And we really were going to f- um, really just focus on creating students of virtue to be good upstanding members in their local churches. He would be like, yes, this is what we should be doing. Um, Are you sympathetic to that view? I am. I am. Okay. Um, but I, I know a little bit from this excerpt that he does talk about grades and he talks he about does. money and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, sure. AJ, anything else to say on Mr. Gibbs? Nope. I don't think I have anything useful to add. He's great guy. Yeah. Nice, nice fellow. Have you all have met yep. him. I've him met him. He yes. seems very pleasant. Yep. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's AJ, a good one. Let's put him that way. Sure. He's a good one. AJ, you also, you've read how to be unlucky, correct? I've read chunks of it. Okay. I haven't read the whole thing. Okay, perfect. Okay, so if you are interested in more of his work before, again, we have lots of episodes on um, what he's written. Uh, He has a book of short stories also that I've purchased and I've started. I haven't um, done an episode on though called Blasphemers, so I don't think I listed that. He also has upcoming another work called Love What Lasts, and I think I might have an excerpt of it somewhere on here if uh, that ends up coming up. So, Okay, so I already said before that the name of this work is So Your Parents Are Thinking of Sending You to a Classical Christian School. <laughs> How do you like that for a, for a title? Do you want to uh, take any meaning based on this title? Who is this directed at? I'm going to guess, I mean, probably students. Right. And would you want to guess who is handing out this pamphlet? 
Presumably the school. Yes. Yeah. So that's, it's an interesting part of the setup. So if you were to go onto Gibbs Classical right now and attempt to buy a copy of this pamphlet, you can only buy 20 copies of it at a time. I should say the way it's structured is you pay for a certain number of copies, you're sent a PDF, and then you print out that number of copies. But just to say you're paying for 20 licenses of it at the, at the very minimum, and then it goes up from there. Um, so yes, it is for schools to hand out uh, to prospective families um, who are, I think the, the, the sweet spot for it would be the parents are sold on classical education. The kid is not so sure what they think about this whole classical education thing. And the pamphlet is meant to kind of help them ask good questions and have good conversations about whether this would be a good fit for them or not. I mean, and it's all very cute and tongue in cheek with the, it's like the kind of pamphlet you get if, if you're in like a, I don't know, some kind of office or it's, it's like hearkening back to those pamphlets from the nineties. So you've like, decided to be a realtor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's literally the first sentence. Or like timeshare. So yeah. you've decided to buy a timeshare. Yes. The, literally the first sentence says, hello there. And so, hello there. If you are reading this, it means your parents are considering whether or not they should enroll you in a classical Christian school. So it does kind of have that, <laughs> that kind of feel to it. Um, do you all have any thoughts on this uh, just as a project at a, at a super high level, having something that's directed toward the prospective students before they come into a classical Christian school? Do you have thoughts on whether that is a worthwhile thing? Oh, yeah. Well, it's brilliant. Can you say more? I just, I mean, the students are the ones that are actually going to be doing the work. Um, that, you know, the parents have heard a lot of the goals of what the school is hoping to do, but to get from point A to point B, there's a lot of, of labor and work that needs to get done, and it's the students that are going to be doing it. Right. So to be having students excited about what they are going to, or having students bought in over to what the project is going to be, is, makes total sense. True. Um, as opposed to, like, Telling the student, well, this school is like super fun and there's like lots of fun things you're going to do. And the student's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go to the fun school. And then they get there and they're like, crap, <laughs> there's this all this work we got to do. Yeah, this is not um, quite So it's, it's trying to get, it's, it's basically, you know, I, I don't read the pamphlet, but the idea of, of giving the student a unvarnished real look as to what is in store for them and not lying to them, I think is a valuable thing. That's fair. Yeah, it seems like a good project. I mean, I spend my first day in English class talking about why we do education in the first place mm-hmm. to try to get some of that buy-in. Yes. And it's incredibly harrowing to ask them again three months later, what do you remember from that conversation? And some of them are like, we had a conversation. I'm like, I'm going to throw <laughs> you out the window. Sure. But yeah, I think a pamphlet is just as good a way to do it, especially if the school wants to designate, okay, here are the messages we want to send about what we're trying to do to yes. the student. Whereas I, I kind of, I would get cranky if Veritas did that be, just because that's what I do in my oh. first day with the ninth graders. Yes. Right. Could, well, just so imagine someone comes in 10th grade, they didn't have your class. There'd still be a place for them to have that. Yes. In that case. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes sense. Sure. And so I guess Veritas could, could do it. I would just want to write it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. But we, and so the only thing that we really have is we have a handbook of rules that the students need to read as one of their assignments where it's like, this is what the uniform is, and this is how you don't swear at people, and this is... Yeah, we have the parents and, read and stuff. And they, they read that, but that, and they have to sort of sign off on that. But I get the sense that this is a, a... They want... Gibbs wants students to sign off on this. Yes. 
And, well, but it is it is much more selling the vision of like or selling the reality of what a classical school is hoping to do. Yes. As it's planting an ethos yeah. as opposed to like here are the rules you got to follow. Yes, and his intention is that this is uh, broad enough that it encompasses all classical Christian schools. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about any one given school. Gotcha. So there is yeah. something. It's about buying into the classical Christian school idea before even thinking about that specific school. Mm-hmm. And I will also say that the end of it is to have there are three questions listed at the very end. And so the whole point of this is to get to a point of conversation, either with your parents to talk about things that you have questions about from the 10 pages that you just read, or to talk with the admissions office to say, is this really how you do things at the school? Um, So it's not meant to be the like one time you think about any of these ideas. It's meant to launch you into some kind of discussion around this. I must say that when I saw that it dropped or when I saw that this was the project that, that he released, my first thought was one of kind of fear and trepidation because I was like, I'm worried I'm going to read it and realize that Veritas Academy, where we work, falls short on like, you know, a bunch of these different visions. And it's going to be kind of this like um, sort of kick in the shorts about, you know, making sure that we're not that, no. or me, even my own personal classroom that I haven't like had mission drift or I'm actually like, you know, um, um, holding to these these ideals of what we I, I hope a good classical Christian education can be. It definitely doesn't do that. And again, Veritas is a classical school and is committed to that. So mm-hmm. you'll find a lot of things line up. I'm curious if you all will push back or disagree with some of the sections of this essay. And again, we'll get into those later. Us? Yeah. Push we, back? We would never uh, push back or disagree. Uh, we're only at the 13 minute <laughs> mark. So we have 27 minutes until anyone is allowed to push back. So plenty of time. Okay. So just so. This is kind of in the background, but just so I state it explicitly, since you two teach high schoolers, it's probably it, Graham is lighting. Um, Someone left a lighter on the table. Sorry, he's he's channeling like I'm a sorry. '90s bad boy. Someone left a lighter in. What are you? I brought a lighter to school. Yeah, I'm like so suspended for someone it. Someone carved even care. in an S on the table. Okay. No, um, I mean, we had a candle in here during thesis to try to calm the kids down. Did it work? It may have. It may have. Yeah. Okay. We didn't run a study, so yeah, I we, can't tell. We didn't have a control so group. The, <laughs> just so I say it, this the pamphlet is intended for older students, and this is what... So AJ just said he has that conversation in ninth grade. Well, if you're having it in ninth grade, students who have been at Veritas for a long time, did they have that conversation in eighth grade or seventh grade or sixth grade? No. What I... I mean, I'm not sure they're ready for it right. earlier than ninth. I mean, I'm talking I about like the goals of education and a seventh grader just, it might just might not land. Sure. Right. And so that's, I think that's kind of gone unstated, but just he Gibbs says this explicitly, this little pamphlet is not given to children, but to young adults, the thoughts and feelings of little children about their education matter much less than yours. Having reached a more mature age, you are capable of working with the school or against it. Yep. So that's agreed. And, and I don't know exactly where that level is. I think, I think there are many eighth graders who would be mature enough to Mm -hmm. go through this and probably some seventh graders also, but by and large, I view this as something that's primarily toward the high school and something that I think would be helpful to, I just think Veritas is a pre-K, pre-K through 12. Um, is there something before pre-K? Anyway. Um, uh, Pre-pre-K? Babies? I, I thought there was like a, anyway. The, Baby class. No, but like pre-K through 12. So like students can be at Veritas for a very, very long time. And if someone's been there pre-K through eight versus a new student coming in in ninth, there's just a big there are lots of unstated and kind of assumed things on what is education for in your example that I think would benefit from discussion. And that's what something like this essay is meant to bring out in prospective families. So that's where I think that's just in reading it. That's where I think the sweet spot is for it. But 
you know, you're, you might get more, you might still get benefit from it for a middle schooler also. Yeah, presenting that, you you are old enough to realize that you can be working with the school or working against the school, I think is a pretty powerful thing for a student when they internalize it. Yes. Um, and something that probably also applies to the high school more than before. Yeah, I think so. And also just, we've I, I know we talked earlier, I've talked about this on the podcast before, it may have been maybe in your, your reflections episode on being a dean of student, or being the head of student life, that students crave responsibility and yep. like, and like doing something meaningful and to phrase it and say like, well, there's nothing more meaningful than you part, like, like owning your growth, right. exactly. <laughs> which is what school is. So anyway. Yeah. I don't know if we have that recording, but Graham had a great talk many years ago about that with something about, uh, it's where loath, loaf of death came from. What was the funny phrase you used where like there are things that are growing in you and eventually they'll become grown. Do you remember this? I do. Okay. I kind of. I, I, the um, no, it was a murder. No, it was a death bush. I don't know. Something like seeds. Bush? Yeah, something yeah, like that's that. What, it was some funny. Did I like tell that. it to the students? Yeah, I thought you did. It was oh. at SR retreat. Okay, and it was essentially everyone. Everyone will eventually become what they are becoming. That's right. And some people have planted death. Mm-hmm. They have little uh, death seeds, and those death seeds grow into death bushes. Yeah. So anyway, at some point, those things um, we become what we're becoming. Hmm. Okay, so that is so just. The, you know, the opening of this is to say, who is this for? I think it's kind of targeted at this middle, or I'm sorry, later middle school, but early high schools uh, particularly. Um, and it's for people who don't necessarily know a lot about Christian classical Christian education, but would, anyway, they'd benefit from reading a little bit about it. Okay. Um, Graham, just because he mentioned it, liked that part about either working with the school or against it. Gibbs says, when students genuinely want what the teachers at a classical Christian school have to offer, they thrive. Um, so I guess just by way of also uh, asking questions about this, I view this as something that's meant to make people second guess whether they go to a classical mm-hmm. school. And maybe uh, Gibbs talks about how there's been this like growth in the popularity of classical education. I didn't know about this. Did you all know that there was like a little... Fox documentary thing about the talk about classical education. Not, not since hearing about this. Kind of I thing. did not know. I didn't know about this either. I don't know if it's recent or not, but uh, I think it's the miseducation of America. I have not watched it. I don't know anything about it, but it's something that who's doing the miseducating the public schools. Oh, okay. And so then uh, classical Christian education is kind of presented as this alternative. Again, I haven't read, or I'm sorry, I haven't watched it. I've just I mean, heard people talk. Fox about news it. did not contact us. <laughs> I'm very sorry to hear that. Didn't do their research. Yeah. So there's, there's something to, as things increase in popularity, you're not getting people who are just looking for what is, they're not looking for like a pure form of classical education. They want the thing that's popular. And so this is meant as something to push back and get people to second guess that. Is that a good project? Is that like, given the choice, would you rather you have more people enter a school, but they're less on board with the school or fewer, but they're more weeded out? I mean, if you're trying to do something different, you and something like an education where you have a child who's growing up and through varying degrees of like buy-in and not buy-in based on, you know, because they're a maturing person, but you have relationships with families and any sort of tension is always going to be located in the life of the kid, right? Like when you have parent-teacher meetings, you are talking about a kid, you're talking about the child. So... Like, when it's something that is so important, the raising of a kid, I think you need people who are going to be 
buying in to what the school and the administrators and the teachers have bought into. So maybe an institution can shoulder a certain number of less enthusiastic families, but there's got to be some sort of tipping point. I would be more concerned about the institution, how many teachers can the institution shoulder that are less enthusiastic about the mission and just sort of see it as just another, just another kind of school or just another school sure. before, the, before the tipping point happens. And then you kind of lose the, lose the thread of, of what you're doing. And there will be points in the essay where he'll talk about teachers and talk about teachers being on board for what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think you probably need the second you need the book that teaches that or talks yeah. about that because, you know, it, just because classical education has gotten popular recently, well, that would mean it's lots of new teachers and new families who need some sort of education and what, what is special about the classical uh, mm-hmm. approach. Um, and so, I, yeah, it can't be assumed that all your teachers are on board for this method or know what they're talking or know yeah. what he's talking about with all this. So I think you're on to something. AJ, any thoughts between the smaller group of people who are more on board versus I think there's, yeah, I think Graham's right. There's gotta be like a core, a core group of people who are on board. And that includes both teachers and families that can sort of preserve the mission against any sort of drift. Yeah. Uh, you know, having, having been close to our principal, right. He's my brother-in-law. Right. I've seen some of what happens behind the scenes when you have families that aren't on board and what kind of destruction those can, like they will start to sour other families and then they will start to push for big change. And they'll like, in the age of social media that become that can become a really big problem really fast yep. if, if not dealt with. And so, but you don't want your teachers teaching things that are contrary. So I think the mission is preserved by keeping a core number of families that will push back against any drift and then disseminated via a core number of teachers. Yep. So yeah, yep. I think you can, yeah, you can stomach a certain number of people mm-hmm. that just aren't on board. I mean, schooling is an emotional thing. Yes, and people have lots of strong exactly. opinions about mm-hmm. how it should be yep. done. <clears throat> All right, so yeah, he has a section in here talking about how some people will view. I just I keep thinking of the David Hicks essay about whether classical education <laughs> is possible. He ends it by saying, "No, it's not." And I think that your response to that can be either, "Okay, it's not possible. Therefore, we can do anything we want to and call it classical," Mew. or we need to get back to what classical is actually supposed to be and go for like the purity of the approach. Gibbs very much falls on the let's go and do this the right way as opposed to let's just use it Call as, whatever we want. as a marketing term. Mm-hmm. And But there will be families who kind of just view it as a marketing term and they just sign on for it because it's popular. And then Gibbs writes, after a year or so, these families discover that classical really isn't a gimmick but a genuinely distinct approach to schooling and they become antagonistic toward the school because it does not offer what other schools do. Sometimes these families leave but sometimes they stick around for years and complain the entire time. And that's what you're yep. talking about, AJ. So. All right. So that's the, you know, we've spent plenty of time on this introduction, but that's the, the goal of what he's going for. It's a article that's for teenagers to help them understand if they want to be in support of where their parents want to send them or are not in support, in which case they probably shouldn't attend that school. That's the, the project he's going for. So what he's going to go through are things that are controversial or distinct or unique to a classical Christian school. If you all are thinking about things that a new student would be caught off guard by or bothered by if they weren't prepared for it? What are some things you would want to address to a prospective student? Rigor. Latin, old books, talking in class. Yeah, (laughs) Latin, old books, talking in class. You're going to have homework. Yeah. 
I would also want to maybe address how, maybe this is just us, but we don't talk about modernisms very much. What do you mean? Right. I don't talk much about, say, cla- uh, what is it? The race theory. Um, critical race critical theory. Critical race theory. I was going to say classical race theory. That's not what <laughs> That's I'm talking not, about. Not, nope. But we don't talk much about critical race theory. We don't talk... I. I I take less part in big modern movements than I think students would necessarily want me to. We don't read a lot of modern authors. Um, We don't, we are not, I guess, and this is something I like about our school. We don't shift with the times as much as the times shift. Okay. Right. We are, we are steady because we are rooted in things that haven't changed for hundreds of years. Right. And so we, I participate in my class less in a lot of those modern things. So maybe just telling students like, we're not really going to talk about that stuff. Okay. Are there any other things that are, distinct or different when you compare either across other private schools or to public or homeschooling? Any other things? Fewer worksheets, more Socratic dialogue. Uniforms, although that's true at other private schools. I think yeah. you knew that answer because you read some excerpts from this, didn't you? Wait, who, me or don't? Graham, because, yeah, uniforms is one of the categories. Nah. I don't have to address that. They can just suck it up and wear a uniform. <laughs> I went to public school. They have a uniform, too. Like, they're still... You had a pro- dr- uniform at public school? No, well, not. I mean, but there are still stipulations about what you can and cannot wear. You can't go to school with a swear on your chest. You can't wear spaghetti straps. You can't... Like, we still had rules about what... They were just more relaxed. Gotcha. That's what I tell students. Like, yeah, we had rules in public school, too. In some public schools, you can't wear certain colors because they're gang-related. Can't wear blue, sure. can't wear red, can't wear tan... I do think there's a different, I, I, those are limits on what you can wear, but that it goes a, another level to then say, these are the only type of pants you can wear, the only skirt or the only shirt sure. or whatever. So. Yeah, it's, it is certainly a step up, yeah. but I don't know. I like to disabuse students of the notion that you can wear whatever you want in public schools. You can't. Um, so we, everything that you've covered, the rigor, homework, the modernisms, kind of more dialogue and uniforms. Again, Graham threw in a right answer at the end. This is not a quiz show because Graham's already Price read. on the board. No, because Graham already read the, there are lots of excerpts from this pamphlet if you want to go read it on gibbsclassical.com. So that's all I've read. Graham's already read that <laughs> stuff. It's a, it's a pretty decent chunk. It's a, you know, it's a 10 page thing if, uh, and it's probably. The excerpt is probably like three pages. Yeah, page and a half too. It's like 30% least, so, of it. Yeah, so a big chunk of it's on there already. And I think he's going to record audio for it and post it online. He hasn't done that yet, mm. but so there will be a, another way to access this. Okay, so I'll go through the different things that Gibbs points to as distinctives for a classical Christian school, again, as opposed to either. He's particularly focused on other private schools because that's kind of, if you're applying to one, you're probably just considering this field of private education to begin with. Um, But the first one he goes into is that a classical Christian education is Christian. So the Christian part of the classical Christian education is the first thing that he goes after. So just in, in thinking about what makes a classical Christian school unique in its Christianness as opposed to other private schools, take a, again, we talked with our David Hicks episode about kind of large mainline private schools. They have religious foundings, but they're perhaps not particularly religious now. What's different between those schools and a Veritas or those schools and a classical Christian school? Our stance on post-millennialism and... Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> The school does not take a stance. I, I just wanted to say also, you made a reference to the Veritas Handbook. I, I, I think it's better than you're giving it credit for. I think it tries and explains its um, approach to things more so than just giving a list of rules. It does have a list of rules, but it's also a philosophy. Sorry, I was thinking that from before. It's true, but the things we make our students read for their first assignment of the year is just a list of rules. Yeah, It's true. not the whole handbook. But we do have, anyway, they're like good parts of the handbook. 
That's true. There are. But what, um, is, what, is, what makes us Christian? Yes. I mean, again, I don't want to steal the thing that he wrote. On the, on the, I, I know the well, answer. You know, then go ahead and say it. So what, what makes us different from other religious institutions? Yes. Is that the religious schools? That's the question? Y- y- you can... Y- yes, or like what does the Christianness of a classical Christian education mean? What, in what way does that change a school for it being Christian and classical Christian? Graham, you know the answer. <laughs> I mean, I have my own. Do we, do we want to do the, ba- the bad answer first or the good answer? Well, yeah, bad answer. We can go with Graham first. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I meant mine. I meant mine was the bad one. Uh, he talks about um, it's not that we take a, it's not that a school takes a, per, a specific like denominational view, Catholic, Protestant, Presbyterian, Anglican, but that you it's can like kind literally of, the list he gives. I know. Did you, you like, commit this to memory? No, I just read it recently. It's fascinating. Um, I read for a living. Um, do you memorize uh, those things for a living? I don't know. Just okay. how my brain works, I guess. Um, how many I just denominations are there? I read. Everything I read just, just sticks yeah, in there. No, I do it for a living. It's, um, I'm paid for this. But, uh, but he says, like, you can kind of break Christians into two camps. Yes. Those who go to church every Sunday and feel that it is their duty to do it, and they only miss it if they're ever sick and they feel bad about it. Yes. And those who go to church when they either feel like it or it's convenient every couple, maybe once or twice a month. And he says that classical Christian schools are the are ones that are built for the first, for the every for Sunday the, for the every Sunday Christians. Christians. That that's the, the 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 thing that he that he um, sort of frames it as. Wait, that's what makes us different from religious schools. Well, when you say religious, so again, when I'm saying, I don't think religious school is the right name. There are lots of schools that will have Saint whatever in the title, which means that they were founded as a religious institution, Got but it. they are not currently a religious institution. Okay. And so if you have a school founded five years ago as a classical Christian school, what's different? But what, in what way does Christianity influence that school that's different from... Between St. Paul's and the Northeast. Yeah. St. Paul's is the one that Hicks uh, worked at. Uh, I, and again, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm trying not to name schools because that feels weird. But just what's the difference no, between sorry. the school that... No, no. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to name Austin schools sure, sure. For, for the purpose of this. What's the difference between the school that was founded religious 100 years ago and now is not? Versus the one that is distinctly religious and distinctly Christian now. Does that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, my my answer always comes. So I do a talk about what is classical education. I think I've even done a, an episode on it. But part of yeah. what makes us different is what we believe about the student and what we believe about where that student is headed. Yeah. Right. Pedagogy might be the same, and that's one thing that some te- you know some families have a problem with. They're like, I'm paying for all, for all this Christian schooling, and they're using the same math book. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's. Grammar is grammar, no matter where you learn it. What right. matters is who we think the student is, yeah. right? If we are full believers in evolutionary theory and naturalism, then I, the student is an animal, and we believe the same about ourselves, and the student is as good as he's ever going to be, right? We are at the absolute top pinnacle of evolution, and we're only going to You can eat whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. You need whatever you want. You can go eat a squirrel. There he are, can't stop you. Oh there are no morals governing. Like uh, the moral system kind of breaks down. And anyway, a classical Christian school, right? Christianity provides a framework for how to think about the student and where they're headed. So yes. the student is not perfect. Yes, they are part of a broken thing that can be repaired. Yes, right. And so the education then becomes part of that repair. Yes, mm-hmm. and then where they are headed is towards their. Like we are trying to align what they are now, which is a broken version of themselves with their true nature as it was originally created and then eventually heaven. So those things guide the, the educational process, right? When the student says like, why do I have to do this? My answer is like, because we are trying to make you what you were naturally intended to be rather than like cash, 
right? Those are very different answers for the student, particularly. So imagine the student comes in and says, actually, I don't have a a telos. I don't have an end like that that I'm working toward. Okay, so what's the, how would you respond to that? Or I'd say, like, you have that end. You just don't realize you should be working towards it. Yeah. That's my response. If you have the evolutionary model, you can say, you don't think the dolphins right now are working hard to overthrow humanity? (laughs) They are. Well, there's we got to stay at top on the top. We're the apex predator. All I can offer this in that context is creature comforts. Uh I can say, like, your end is your decision, right? Where you end up. Really, we're all here meaningless anyway. So the thing I can offer you is cash and comfort, right? If you are rich, you will probably get, you know, more ladies. You'll probably have a nicer house. You'll have more ease. You'll have more leisure, right? I I can offer them the base things of humanity, not the great things of humanity. And that is the difference, is that my only motivator is... Reduction of stress and base comforts. Sure. I would say the, the other part is that, and what I was trying to get at with the question, is that there are certain ideas that are just going to be outside of... So Graham made reference to a, a, a school being Christian does not mean that it's only Methodist or Baptist or whatever going to that school. There are lots of different kinds of Christians that will go to the school. And while there are lots of things that those Christians will disagree on, there are lots and lots of things that they actually all agree on. And that kind of sets a boundary to what sorts of ideas will be entertained or discussed or treated as, as valid or reasonable. And there are certain ideas that are just outside of that. And so to say that all life is meaningless and nothing matters is outside the pick your Christian denomination. It's outside of that, the ethos of that religion or of that denomination. Mm-hmm. Correct? Does anyone disagree with that? No. And so there will be... it. I guess what, I, what I'm trying to ask is if a student is putting forth that idea, if, if that's what they push back with is something that's outside of any denomination's views, again, outside of like a general Christian um, philosophy, I'm wondering, do you, do you entertain that idea? Shutting down is not the right word for it, but... I, I you mean you, like if they come and they say, I don't believe the things you guys are teaching? Yes. Yeah, what do I that's do? The way to, yeah. Because I'm thinking there are lots of places where disagreement would make sense, and then there's somewhere there's just too much work to be done to kind of get them into the realm of orthodoxy. I'm just wondering if you treat those things differently. So people with different views on premillennial or postmillennialism, you can talk about your view and go from there. Kirk Cameron, thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> sure. Like there's, there's Christian social things. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> what is it, that Nicolas Cage movie left, left after behind? Left behind? There is a Nicolas Cage left behind, yeah. Have uh, you seen it? Yeah, it's so bad. Is it bad? I haven't seen it. It's harrowing. The big reveal at the end, well, the big reveal at the end is that it was the rapture. Yeah. And everyone watching that movie already knows that yeah. it's the rapture. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, is Left Behind a 1990s book? That, that's I think our, so. That's our... Uh, 1990s quote of the day? Yeah, that's our 1990s <laughs> rabbit trail. For those of you keeping track at home. Okay. Those books freaked me out when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, they're pretty terrifying. Okay, so I don't... I'm not going to be able to make this point well, and we ought to move on to the other things he talks about. I'm just trying to say that part of the distinctives of being a Christian school is that there are going to be certain ideas, philosophies, whatever, that just can't, they're just outside the scope of what is can be treated as like a valid opinion. And I, and I think that range is like broader than maybe listener what you're hearing me say. But just to say there have to be certain boundaries betwe- between yeah. what is like an okay thing and what is not an okay but thing. But every classical school has that, moment where they teach history and they teach the Reformation. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, um, we have Catholic students, we have Protestant students, and they have, you know, grown up hearing sort of the, the different 
not takes, but the sort of the, the, the way that things are framed are differently. And then I think every school sort of every classical Christian school has that moment where they're like, oh, my goodness, we need to sort of think about how we're going to do this. Like that's that usually it ends up being like a big inflection point to the thing that you're talking about in terms of denominational differences. Or, right. Whereas if students come in and, and they're like, wait, you believe that there's, or parents are like, I don't believe my child has a soul. It's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, now we're like, that's probably, this is probably not the school for you because Maybe everything we're I, trying yes. to do is to form that soul into virtue. And that's, and that's why we have the parents sign a thing, yeah, but yeah. not the but students, not, mm-hmm. right? The yes. students are still in formation. Mm-hmm. And if a kid comes up and he's like, I don't believe any of this. Well, I have to treat that as a piece of that formational process. And so usually what I do is ask questions to, right. to answer that. Like, I don't just say your opinion, opinion is invalid. Of course not. I right. let kids have that room to struggle, but I ask as many questions as I can because usually the root is somewhere in their philosophical worldview issues, sure. right? Sure. Um, that's what I most often find. And for the record, what you're talking about, like that line between what is acceptable and what's not, yes. it exists in public as well. Oh, they sure. wouldn't have speakers come and talk about why pedophilia is fantastic. Right, sure. Like, you, they wouldn't allow that at their school. Yes. Or why racism is good, right? There, there are we draw much narrower lines than a public school does, right? Yes. But everybody draws those lines. Yes, but yeah, just to say that there are there are lines drawn somewhere, right? Um, he wraps up the section saying a classical Christian school is an every Sunday sort of school. So again, the the school for people who are going to church every Sunday, regardless of which denomination, but they're like committed to that denomination, which means that loyalty to our churches and to God's word is more important than our feelings, our comfort or other people's feelings and comfort. For this reason, a classical Christian school is not embarrassed or ashamed of the teachings in the Bible that make people uncomfortable. It is more important to be faithful to God than to feel good. So there you go for your distinctives on the Christian part. That's how Gibbs summarizes it. Any response on that? Nope. He moves into the second part of a thing that might be weird to people is uniforms. So Veritas is a school that has uniforms. When, well, first off, do students complain about the uniforms? Do they oh, yeah. dislike the uniforms? What, uh, that's, what a, that's an interesting distinction. They complain about it. Do they dislike it? I don't know if they don't like them, but, I, but they do complain like about them. them. Um, what, what, when people are complaining about it, what, what do they not like about the uniform? I can't express myself. Oh, there you go. That's very funny. Um, and yeah, that and just, um, that it's sort of a narrow, a narrow range of options. And usually small things like I don't like the sleeves or mm-hmm. the, the, it's, it's the pants are a little uncomfortable, something mm-hmm. like that. But, but usually it's just the, I can't express myself in my clothing at school. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think their big thing. And what do you all think about uniforms? So I am a huge fan. Why are you a huge fan? I think there are lots of reasons. So are you, you guys ready for this? Sure. Okay. Reason number one, because it has been statistically proven oh, that they improve grades. Science. Uh, because they have done this study with a school that does not have uniforms, and then after the introduction of uniforms, kids will perform better. So even if that is the, the base benchmark, that improves scholasticism, right? Secondly, When you look good, you feel good. Look good, feel good. Changes the atmosphere in the classroom, yeah. right? When the, when the focus... Is there uh, a difference between dress-down days yes. and regular days? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The kids are way different. Yes. Okay. It's just a total gong show There's when also the kids day, get to dress however they want to. a full moon versus not a full moon. Kids are way different. <laughs> oh, is that really a thing? That's a really thing. I mean, yeah, when the werewolves come out, it yeah. just causes problems. Um, Laugh it up. It's true. So... <laughs> I will. I, no. um, I think there's... It also removes, in a very positive way, class differences. So when I went to school, I could afford, you know, not always the greatest clothing. And this isn't a invective against my parents. We just didn't have a lot of money, right? And so I didn't have 
you know, designer, anything. I usually didn't have the trends. Didn't have the Doc Martens? And to their credit, I also was completely senseless when it came to fashion. Like, I just did okay. not know what I was doing. Dress but I could, probably couldn't have afforded it if I wanted to. Okay. But a uniform would have erased all of that difference, all of the self-consciousness I felt, all of the difficulty choosing clothes when I have no idea how fashion works. Like, it's, it's probably a good thing that that is taken sort of off the plate as a thing. Mm-hmm. It means that I probably wouldn't have been, been as distracted by girls in high school okay. when they are all wearing, like, you know, the same frumpy blouse and skirt. Um, <laughs> it's just, they're all, they all look the same. I, you know, um, there's, or my, some of my other reasons. It's a, the class thing is a lot of it, right? I had friends that said that they complained about it tooth and nail all the way through high school, but secretly they really loved it because they didn't, they didn't have to try to impress anybody with their clothes, mm-hmm. right? And that makes a difference. I think, I think there are so many reasons why it is good. And also, last one, and this is what I tell the students when they complain about expressing themselves. I'm like, my goal is not to help you express yourself through your clothing. And if your clothing is the only way to express yourself, yeah. that's sad. I want, want you to be able to express yourself with your thoughts, with your actions, with your language, right? If yeah. your clothes are doing the job, that's sad. With your eyebrows. Yeah, exactly. With your demeanor. <coughs> Your carriage. My job, yeah. My job is to train all of that into you, not how to, you know, wear a cardigan well. Yeah, I forget if Gibbs has it here, but he has a somewhere he talks about if the only way to express yourself is through clothing. That's another word for shallowness, right? Yeah, it's not good. Exactly. Okay, so this AJ, you weren't sufficiently critical earlier. Gibbs like acknowledges all those as points and then writes all of them off immediately. Can I read you this section? Fine. While these statements have some merit, they all suggest that the greatest benefits of uniforms is their efficiency and practicality. The goodness of uniforms runs deeper than this, though. To be honest, classical Christian schools don't place a high value on practicality. If they did, they would teach Spanish or French, not Latin. And then he goes on from there. So just to say, those are good reasons. And he'll say again, the practical benefits are good. But there's something else going on that he wants to point to. Graham, you, I think he has this section up there. I don't remember this one. Yeah, what is, so what's his answer? That's what I'm, that's what I'm, uh, oh boy, um, is there anything else that is? is I'm so, I got my hackles are up. I'm so ready to disagree. <laughs> are we at the 40 minute mark? 41, yeah. So you're, <laughs> oh, you're, hot dang, bring you're, it you're, up. You're golden, is it yeah. to drain the child of their sense of individuality? I can't remember. Well, <laughs> he doesn't phrase it that way. But, the, um, this kind of this ties in with what AJ was saying that just talking, another brick in the wall. Yeah, and none of your individual differences matter. All That's of right. you. Yeah, and also classical schools should assign numbers to all their students. Yeah. So they never have to learn their names or no. Thirty four. Stop yeah. poking your friend. Gray Stop poking thirty five. Gray shirt. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That um, that students are individuals and are unique, and that is totally separate from the clothing that they wear, and that. Uh, one way that he answers this is to say that uniforms are a sign that you are a student, that there are things that are unique about you, but there are also shared things among all of you. So there's like a, a unity to it that yes, you're, yes, you're special. Yes, you're unique, but also you're a student in this place. And that's the role that you fill in this place. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think AJ would be up that, that when you put on a uniform, there's also a formational thing that does like if yeah. you are in the military and you put on your dress uniform, like that means something. Yeah. If you are, on a sports team and you put on a jersey, that means something. Yeah, what you, you do with your to, body matters. If you go to a school and you put on your uniform when you come to the school day, like there, it is like you're putting on the expectations of, yep. of a student. Let me re- I'll read the section. I think it actually aligns with basically everything AJ already said. So tell me if these are actually just practical concerns. Wearing a uniform is a small but significant way in which you, you can decrease. Learn to be silent and make room in your heart for the wisdom of Christ and his friends. Some readers will take offense at these words, at at this whole idea of uniforms. Obviously, I'm cutting this section. 
Some readers will take offense at these words, but I would imagine they come as a relief to others because a classical Christian school does not place a premium on self-expression. It is not a place where you are under pressure to impress your classmates, put forward fashionable opinions, or entertain an audience. Instead, you are free to listen. Except for rhetoric class, where you, you, you are about rhetoric before you supposed to express yourself. And no, you rhetoric. don't express yourself. No, you have to be formed. What are you talking about? You obviously don't believe this. What? That you, you, they're not expressing themselves. You, you are teaching them how to how to rhetor. Now, what's the verb? How to do rhetoric? Yeah. When you teach them, they receive that, and then they express. Right. Which happens in class. Sure, but you teach them first. They receive something, yeah. and then and they then receive. But there are there are times in that learning process for them to do expression, to sure. enter, to literally entertain. Yeah, and that's an what audience. the school of rhetoric is: is to take yes. is to take the logic that they've learned and to turn them into the the sort of. But I am all for yes. this this idea of decrease. Yes, like I, I, I think it is yeah. humility is un, you know undersung. I think saying to a child, "You are not needing to perform; you are needing to receive." Yeah. It turns the volume way down on lots of things. Yes, and that's what, and I, I think that's important. Yeah, and what else? This just, I, I haven't really formed this as an opinion, but in terms of like who should be expressing themselves in terms of fashion, the person who should be doing that is um, Graham yep. because he has good fashion taste, and oh. not um, someone who doesn't have good fashion taste. Oh man. Teaching kids to have taste would be a great class. Well, that's what you should be doing. We should get to that part. Oh, okay. Two we more just sec- watch Project Runway the whole time? Yeah. Is that no, the- stop. You depressed me. <laughs> um, I'll move on. There are two more sections and we'll... How sad. <laughs> Is that a reference? I don't know what that... Okay. Wait, this is me saying, wait, 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 what? No, okay. So the next section is truth, goodness, beauty, and grades. So Graham, you made reference to this being mm-hmm. a part you've read before. So at this point... Classical Christian education, we've talked about the Christian part. We've talked about uniforms, which are not unique to a classical Christian school, but probably to private schools, like most private schools probably have a uniform. And then then this part, I think, would be unique on the classical side. This is kind of where he gets at the classical. The writer Walker Percy once said, you can get all A's and... Flunk at life. Flunk at life. This truth sits close to the hearts of classical Christian teachers. For instance, a certain student might perform well in tests, get into a great college, and enter a lucrative career, and yet be wildly unhappy and treat his family poorly. You don't need to spend much time in Christian school before you hear someone mention truth, goodness, and beauty. This is because classical Christian teachers believe that pursuing truth, goodness, and beauty is how you keep from flunking at life. Do you agree with that? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that... uh, that seems like a counterintuitive thing of if you're going after, if you're going after beautiful things, that doesn't seem like that would keep you from flunking at life or like, what do you mean by pursuing that kind of uh, group of things, true, uh, true, good and beautiful things? How does I, that keep you from flunking? I mean, at I life? think you can make a, def- you can make a defense for that. The pursuit of beauty requires the, the formation of lots of different kinds of virtues in order to achieve it. Um, I know it's not the direction he's going in with this. Maybe that's, that's a, a different thought for the after episode. Probably. Um, but, um, this, this is what I was, we were getting at the beginning. This is where he gets to the point where the aim and goal of the classical education is, whereas the aim and goal of maybe like the progressive standard education is job, college and job. Right. The aim and goal of classical education does not exclude college and job, but it, sh- it overshoots that as the goal sure. where it's like the, what man? What kind of man are you as at fifty four? 
uh, and that's sort of what he's getting at that point where it's like um, uh, you could be wildly successful and hate your family and, and be having an affair and, and, and getting a divorce and, you know, and then you look at your life and you're like, well, this sucks. Even if you got A's. Even, even if, if you, you got A's all a, the way up. Yeah. Or you could be this person who gets A's all the way up and gets A's in college and then graduates college and there's no one there to hand you A's anymore and you have no idea what to do. Sure. Uh, I, I definitely know those stories. Yeah. Um, again, since this is a 10-page essay, he'll say that he wishes he could go into more definitions of what even these three things mean, but mm-hmm. that you know, it's kind of a topic for another time. And again, he has there's so many other writings of his that you can look into to see how he defines all those different things. So can I, can I speak to the truth, goodness, yeah, sure. beauty thing and how, how that leads to a good life? So these are the, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before, I only learned it relatively recently, that those three are the transcendentals. Mm-hmm. So they are, you cannot define them by reference to anything else. Truth is truth. It is not a subcategory. Same with beauty and goodness. Mm. And so they transcend other categories. You must define other things by them. They're almost like a, a premise rather than a conclusion. Or an axiom. And then those things are also, they eventually become a unity, right? right? And that unity happens in the Godhead. Right. So truth, goodness, and beauty cannot really exist without each other, right? You cannot end up being good without eventually being beautiful and appreciating beautiful things. Yeah. Um, something that is really true will often be beautiful and it will often be good, right? The art that is the best is speaking a, a truth. And so these things, because they become a unity in the Godhead, it's, it's hard to do. And I think this speaks to what Graham was saying, one without the other, right? If you pursue real beauty, eventually, hopefully you'll end up in goodness and truth, right? right? I like that. Um, these concepts are not easy to define. That's kind of the transcendental part mm-hmm. and can be tricky to talk about. But classical Christian educators believe that the great books, music, paintings, prayers, and ideas, which have which have lasted, teach us about the truth, goodness, and beauty of God. We, I don't, tell me if these are actually disconnected ideas, but we talked about the, what is it called? It's, it has to do with uh, when we did our Valentine's episode a long time ago about when you love a specific person, that person is connected through many different chains to the beautiful. There's this kind of ideal of Mm -hmm. what is beautiful. And so that person participates in the ideal of it. And so to, know and love a person is to learn about beauty itself through, um, through, a, through a wife, through a, a person you're close with, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think in a similar way, the way we get to what these transcendental, you can't get at the transcendental directly. Maybe, can I say it that way? And so therefore, there are like these moments that have a piece of truth or a piece of beauty, and that's how you learn about the yeah. unity of them. Well, well I think that's fair. Isn't, isn't this sort of like the bedrock of the, the Catholic doctrine of the beatific vision beatific vision is that like then the sight like, of god is the, the sight of god is the is the culmination of truth beauty and goodness in one and you've like you don't need the examples you don't need the tokens anymore you get the type that kind of thing sure. yeah. i don't know i'm not a catholic I was gonna say, <laughs> not, not now not currently, good phrase though yeah, don't don't need the tokens you get the type i yeah, like that yeah. you steal make that up or you steal that uh we steal everything we talk about let's I, I mean i didn't make up tokens and type I didn't make that up, that concept. Okay. okay. Yeah. But, okay. So this piece gets at, that's kind of the, and we, we, we won't go into it now. We've talked about this lots of times, but when people have questions or concerns about why do you read, uh, this is a concern brought up by Christians. Why do you re- read the pagans? Why do you read anyone who is not Christian? Or why do you read someone who is pre-Christ? This would be a part of that reason that even if they are not, uh, just in terms of like what is good art that points to good, true, the good, the true, the beautiful, you don't, there are people who pointed at pieces of that who weren't Christian. And that's, 
Dante's insight by having Virgil be the one who guides him through hell mm-hmm. and through purgatory. Um, so anyway, there's a lot more to be said there. We've talked about it that a hundred thousand times, mm-hmm. but that's a piece of it. Okay. This final section then is on good taste. So good taste as being a piece of awesome. what I don't, I don't think Aww. he has a quote from this section. No, on, he doesn't. Yeah, That's so, why I'm uh, smiling. So, uh, Cause I don't not, know this. Yeah. That's what I was going to say that you might not have known that this was coming up. So a, then this fourth piece of like, what is unique about the classical education, classical Christian education is the teaching of good taste. Oh, I wish we had, I wish classical schools had like cafeterias where we could serve food and where that could be part of the lesson as well. But we, there is a, cooking class for sure there, there is um, but um i don't know there's just there there's so much opportunities for this virtue formation in regards to like the consumption of food you mean where we could broaden their palate where we can broaden their palate yeah. not just in terms of food but even just manners and conversation around a table and all these kinds of things and praying and and, and the congeniality that comes with being together in a meal i mean anyway i think if the i mean uh, this might not be a fan favorite among the, the faculty, but I think if faculty ate with the students yeah. in conversation, like at their tables. Maybe we should just open up the classrooms for it. For lunch? Yeah. Teachers, uh, yeah, I have teachers students who come and eat yeah. lunch in here. Yeah. yeah. But then we have to hang out with the kids. You should want that. Oh. You have to love the students, remember? <laughs> um, you should want that. And I would also, this, I don't think, this is not in the essay, but something I think about a lot is that you want that socialization from teachers to <laughs> students. And there's there's something that happens in the classroom but you see how does an adult eat lunch? What does an adult eat for lunch? How do they have conversation with each other? And those are those things you won't see unless they're invited into. Yeah. How place. are they polite even to their inferiors, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Inferior. I don't like, man. It's, yeah. Um, okay. So the on the teaching of good taste, um, this, again, it's kind of high level and broad. He'll talk about music specific as an example here, and he'll talk about the difference between a song that is popular, it is popular for a few weeks and then completely drops off the face of the planet as opposed to Beethoven. Beethoven isn't wildly popular because his music is not, he's not wildly popular because his music is not easy to like. It's demanding. Most people who liked Beethoven had to learn to like Beethoven. <coughs> Sorry. I, you probably, yeah, it's like scotch. You can tell from my coughing that I'm the one I, who got ill before and is still getting over it. Um, so yeah, scotch would be an example, obviously that you couldn't teach the students about, but what is the, um, not curtain students. Is that what you're, yeah. Um, but what is unique about scotch as your example there? Like, Cause you don't, I mean, maybe this was my experience of, you don't immediately like it. And then someone walks you through in this case, it was like my dad, uh, but walks you through like how to drink it and what's going on and the different flavors. And then all of a sudden you sort of realize there's a lot, there's like this sort of complexity. And then you, you have a, you figure out the proper place for it and yep. then you create the, pl- and then you realize that the place for it doesn't exist in you. So you create the place for it and then it fits in the place and then you're bigger. Yeah. That's it. Oh, I like that way you put that. Thank you. I like that also because something implied in it then is that the, I think developing a taste, scotch is your example. I think there are lots of reasons for people. Cheese. If people don't want to drink alcohol at all, please don't miss the message of what we're saying, but take cheese or take music that as one becomes great, sold or receptive to music, they become receptive to greatness and other things too, or good taste and other things too. And there's probably a, some type of correlation hmm. going on there that, uh, it really is like a, an increase in all those things that kind of happen at once. Um, but why, you know, you've listed those things, take food, take music, take, um, take drink. Why are those things that are worth learning about? How do you know that those, like why, yeah, why scotch the first thing that came to mind? Why are those the things? 
But I, I think because they, I mean, we just talked about it because they attached to the transcendentals. Scotch is good. <laughs> sure. Yes. Right. True. And music is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so these, these are small pleasures that you can have in life. And because, because one develops those tastes through a broad palate, right? I can't know what good whiskey is without having tasted the bad. Yes. It, it implies world experience, right? And, and having our students come out of their school, having a finished sense of world experience is a good thing. Yeah. So clearly their tastes have been developed because they have experienced a breadth of the world that gives them sort of a, I mean, it's a weird way to get street cred, but it's essentially street cred. Because they know about this. They know what a good thing is. They can be trusted. They're not going to be the ones in college that are fumbling with like, you know, a liter of really terrible vodka, yes. right? They'll be like, this is not how you do alcohol. I know, like, right. I would rather have this very nice thing and sip it and enjoy the flavors than get absolutely blitzed on Tito's right. or whatever it is. Not that Tito's is bad. I was going to say, I thought that was a good it was one. Fireball. fireball. Yeah, Fireball. <laughs> Goldschlager. Uh, oh, I remember. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is. You're making me very nervous right now. Um, I think uh, Gibbs has a one of his proverbial episodes is about um, taking a, a school trip with the students and the students essentially not knowing what where to go, what restaurant to go to, what to order, and they give him their money and say, you know, we know you have good taste. Make this choice for us. And it's you could be that person is yeah. what I think good taste implies or points to. And I think to answer your question of like why why food and drink, AJ's answer is right that it is that it hits the transcendentals. I think it's also you can draw the analogy to the books that you're studying and the things that you're yes. studying. There just like how there is good food that is complicated and complex, but opens up this other dimension of flavor and you think about food differently, there is fast food, which is just salt, sugar, and fat um, manufactured in a way to like immediately please the senses. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, there's, there's something wrong with that when it becomes the, the diet of your life. Yes. Just as there, there's, there are intellectual versions of fast food or there, there, and there are musical versions. There of fast are musical food, yes. versions of fast food, and then there are entertainment versions of fast food. Right? There's there's a there's a um, a fast food way of thinking, and um, that the internet has exasperated. And then there's there's um, the sitting and receiving of the great ideas, which right. is what he's talking. And about. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, say, one music genre is the only music genre for everybody. That's like, true. I think even in hip hop, mm-hmm. right? There's a fast food of hip hop, exactly. and then there's also exactly. the caviar of yes. hip hop. It's not just right? that there is that there's you know, this is classical music or nothing. Right. It's um, it's almost even going back to the, that our old Aristotle episodes um, where there's the un, the thing itself is like the the creation of the thing itself for the for the things telos is. And being able to recognize that and understand that is important as opposed to like bad alcohol exists for one thing and one thing only and that's to get you drunk. Scotch does not exist for that purpose. Like good scotch does not exist for that purpose. It reminds me of when I was talking to the kids about the halftime show this year. Yeah. And they are like, who are all these old people (sighs) up on stage? It was so terrible. And I'm like... That's this funny. is it's Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Eminem. And granted, I'm not saying that those artists are the caviar of hip hop, but it does show a little bit of lack of taste of my students. Right. These guys established what hip hop currently is and the entire bent of the genre now. It's so funny because, yeah, you don't I figure you would be bothered by them bringing back such old artists to no. perform. No. As no. Me? Yeah. No, not at all. I, like those guys are classic. Yeah, Dr. True. Dre is still at the top of the game and finds half of the artists that we're fans of. Right? It was such a cool show too. I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff going I didn't on watch that it, halftime so show. I did not know. Yeah, the the set that oh, was so cool. Yeah, anyway. and I mean, like I I try to like to keep chronological snobbery out of it. If a new artist is worthy of being heralded, then I think we should. Sure. 
it's just harder to tell when they're new, right? You need, if they'll you be know. great. If, they're, if they'll be great. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, if an old artist is, just because he's old doesn't mean that they're bad. And so I think some of the greatest hip hop artists are now hitting like 45 and 50. Right. I think that, sorry, this is stuff that's better for the in-between episode, but uh, like one interpretation of the, of that being the halftime show is like the stuckness of music that, that's still the best. Yes, that can be I think that, that that's all I mean. Oh, not that okay. they're not great, yeah. but that, see that in over the last twenty-five years, we're kind of still in the same place with music. That's again, I didn't listen to it, so I don't actually. Let's talk about that in the, ep- in the, anyway, in the yeah. episode. Okay, so just to say that uh, one, the way Gibbs gets at answering kind of why are these the things we pick that we want to have good taste in? First, they tend to be old things. It isn't worth acquiring a taste for cool, popular things. By the time you acquire a taste, the thing won't be new and popular anymore and you'll have to learn and acquire new tastes for something else. Second, we want to acquire a taste for good things. We feel a sense of obligation to like good things or things we know would be good for us, whereas we do not feel an obligation to like things that are designed merely to be pleasing. And I think that gets at that fast food idea mm-hmm. that you were just talking about right there. Um, anyway, so good taste. It's a thing that, oh, I just wrote this down, that uh, classic book, this is a, the quote, classic books and music and art are the sort of things you can enjoy at 15, 25, 35, 55, and 75. We never outgrow them. Our appreciation of such things grow as we get older. I just, uh, my my oldest is um, uh, going to be three in a couple months, and we've been going through Beatrix Potter. And, like, Beatrix Potter stories, you know, the Peter Rabbit and Tom mm-hmm. Kitten and all that stuff, like, they are charming and delightful to him as a two-and-a-half, almost three-year-old, and to me as a 32-year-old. Like, there's something in that that is still delightful and engaging that um, is not the case for some of I'm sure these people aren't listening, but you know, some of the books that were gifted are like not as great, but there's something to like those classic. I lost my first tooth. Yeah. And oh it's like, it, and they're throwaway books. Yeah. Like, literally you don't care about getting rid of them as opposed to this Beatrix Potter collection. He's probably going to have for as long, you know, as long as we can mm-hmm. uh, not lose it. And obligatory C.S. Lewis reference. Uh, same, same as true with Narnia. You can yes. read Narnia at 12 and 72 and it still brings just as much joy. Yeah, for sure. Which is why like, the cultivation of taste is a thing, right? You give you you have these throwaway things that, at different stages of life, and then at some point the kid gets wise to it and realizes, well, um, the, you know, when when they're given things that are given in hopes that they're going to keep them forever, they think it's just a throwaway thing at this stage. Yes, uh, because everything else was a throwaway thing. Yes. All right. So that's. That takes us through the four sections. So again, we have the Christian piece of classical Christian education. We have uniforms. We have good, true, and beautiful. We didn't go into the grades part, but because the pursuit is for the good, true, and beautiful, that matters more than grades. That's your five-second version. But he doesn't. He doesn't disparage um, like school career money. No, those are things you need. Yeah. If, you know, most people's trajectory is going to be graduation, get married, have kids. You need a job to mm-hmm. for that to work. Um, so he doesn't, he's not negative on those things, but you can, you can have those things and fail at life. That's Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the point from, from before. Okay. So that, those are the four things that he goes through to say, these are things that are probably kind of different or, or, um, worth thinking about before you attend the school. Uh, and then finally he, uh, he wraps up with these three questions to, um, that are posed to the student for them to talk with their parents about, or to talk with the admissions committee about, this is all on the website. So uh, I'm not spoiling anything. First, if you are enrolled as a student here, what are you most afraid of missing out on? What pleasant things do other schools offer, which this one doesn't? Second, what interesting or good things does this school offer, which other schools do not? Third, are the beliefs of your family basically compatible with what I've written in this pamphlet? (laughs) Or do I say a lot of things that you disagreed with or which offended you? 
So that's the the wrap up of it. And I guess the rest of what I have, I'll say for the in between. But that's the that's an overview. I obviously skipped over a lot of the details in it. It's really it's a great um, essay. It's ten pages long. I is the function of this pamphlet a filter? I think so. That's what we talked about before. I think mm. it's for. Again, I think it's where the family is bought in and you want to make sure that kid is bought in too because that's where that's that's how everyone's going to have a good time with the school. If the kid gets in there and realizes they hate the school and all these things they should they could have known before, it's a bad experience for them and the parents won't be happy to see their kids suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of dealing with those things up front. Uh, so again, it's it's primarily for it's for classical Christian schools to give to prospective families. If you're interested in reading excerpts of it or of buying it, it's at gibbsclassical.com. It is it's great. You know, I recommend it, but I recommend everything from Gibbs. So there you go. And I think that's all I got for right now. Cool. So great. Then. All right. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can email us at theguysatclassicalstuff.net, which is where our website is, classicalstuff.net. You can also hit us up on Twitter at CLSSCAL stuff. We still have our hidden Easter egg on that classicalstuff.net website. I believe we have more than one Easter egg. What? I, I think I worked in another one. Ooh. I can't remember what it was or where it is. I don't remember the a true Easter egg. Yeah, now I'm curious. Well, I'm nervous. I think it was like a picture that you click on. I, I forget. Now There's I, a musical oh, Easter egg. There's a musical Easter egg. I think I just found it. What? What is this? I'm going to ask you questions during the in-between. Okay, yeah, we'll figure that out. In any case, you can tool around our website and find a couple of Easter eggs that we put in there. And yeah, we we love... Oh, and Patreon. You can also support us on Patreon. And we would be happy to welcome you to the team. And an extra thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We love having you guys and we love the interaction. And your questions. Yeah, we can't always get back to every email, but man, we appreciate every single dang one. I mean, we all still have side things going on, you know, our, our day jobs. But, but we really, we read everything that comes in and we really appreciate all the communication you guys give to us and yeah, all the little memes you send and every, every little piece of of stuff. So keep that coming. We love having you guys as part of the team and I think that's it for us. So have a great, when does this come out? Tuesday? Have a great Tuesday. Have a great Tuesday. Ciao. Bye.